There's absolutely no one like Hiroshi Tanahashi as well. I mean, the the highest level of performance that he has is higher than anybody else's. I mean, he does dog it. We're going to be talking about someone else who dogs it when he doesn't care as well in this show. But this guy is just... He just captures your imagination in a way that you just don't quite fully comprehend. And it may only happen two or three times a year. But when he when he does it, as a fly buzzes past me, when he does it, he nails it so so well. We're gonna we're gonna miss him when he retires. But I mean, he's forty one, going on forty two, and he's not slowing down, not in the big matches anyway. So who knows how long the gravy train can roll for? It'd be I'm so fucking excited for that Wrestle Kingdom main event. And you know, Kenny Omega's gonna deliver as well. Uh, like, I, I don't want to downplay him. He's just not in vogue at the moment. Not with me, not with many other people. Um, but that title match is going to be something else. Uh, if it isn't, I will <laughs> be disappointed. But I don't think I will be disappointed. I think it will be legendary. And well worth going to the other side of the world for. <laughs> Roundtable with me, Ollie Court, and with me today is absolutely nobody. Rob and Arn, off on their adventures in Germany at World Tag Team League. They're getting tons of quality content there, I'm sure, doing tons of podcasts, filling up Arn's notebook at 4am while they just get one more drink from the trip bar. Um, definitely not experiencing fear of missing out. I'm very happy for them, and I'm happy to have you here with me. Because we're going to be talking today about Hello Wembley, Progress's biggest show ever. Because they drew uh, somewhere in between four and 5,000. I don't have the official number. I think it was like 4,700. Something like that. <laughs> Great preparation. Uh, upper 4,000 to Wembley Arena. Which is one of those numbers which you can't really say too much about. Because obviously they had to tarp off, you know a great deal of the arena, the Yappa Bowl. Um, if you were there for when NXT ran it, obviously the whole arena was full. Um, but it didn't really notice, I don't think. Maybe when you were there live it was maybe more obvious, but on, on, on VOD I don't think it, it made too much of a difference. Um, and obviously the number is very impressive. Uh, <laughs> it is the, bi the biggest show in, in England in the 21st century. Uh, it doesn't beat the Fear and Loathing number from a couple of years ago when they ran the Hydro. So they can't claim British, let alone European history, in terms of numbers. Um, and obviously, one's judgement of whether it was the biggest wrestling event in European history or whatever they were branding it as is, you know, it's one's own taste, but if we were to judge it as just a purely numerical thing, 
Um, they can only claim the country, not the continent, I'm afraid. Um, but that was, you know, I, ha I have to get the attendance out of the way. I, that, that's the boring stuff. I, I'm never too into judging attendances, at, you know, especially at such a level when it, you know, I mean, they've got their WWE email addresses. It doesn't really matter too much one way or the other. Progress isn't living and dying on this one number, uh, unlike, well, New Japan isn't living and dying on sumo hall numbers but that's a bit more interesting in terms of where they're at whereas this was you know a one-off thing people coming out for it i think that's a good number honestly um but i can't really get too takey about it so if you're here for for business talk business time is over and now it's time to get all gooey about wrestling and also quite angry because i've got about as i ruffle my notes i ruffle got about four pages of mostly angry notes and i'll try and Clean it up, keep it PG. Um, but I mean, it's no secret that I haven't been too enamoured with the Progress product over the last year or two. So, to me, them having a really big show doesn't really mean too much to me. As I do my famous Joe Lanza pause, you're gonna get a lot of that because this is Voices of Wrestling. <laughs> can't be, can't have a solo podcast without all the pauses but yeah like i'm not too enamored with the progress product and so a lot of these matches weren't really booked for me because obviously these matches were booked months in advance and you could tell with how they were booking over the summer it was very cautious very let's get to the big show obviously the tag team fund the bastard series was was all that basically just a, a ton of <laughs> matches to determine coming out two minutes later than your opponent's So let's get right into it, I think, with the main event. It probably makes sense to start off with the match I'm most positive about, and that way I can keep the energy up um, and give you guys a good show. Tyler Bate versus Walter. This match might have turned me around on Tyler Bate completely. Um, because, to be honest, coming into this match, I'm seeing Tyler... As a person who doesn't really watch much NXT, you know, I, I dabbled in, in some of the tag matches he had. Um, which were, were well praised, but I, I I'm not a regular viewer of WWE. People going to WWE a bit to me is a bit like a death sentence, you know. <laughs> I sort of waved goodbye to them forever and moved on to the next person I want to see. Um, on the indies because that's just the pro the product that speaks to me more. Um, WWE really doesn't do much for me, and therefore so does it. Neither does NXT even. So Tyler Bate and Trent Seven having all these great matches in NXT doesn't really get on my radar too much. Um, and outside of NXT for the last couple of years, he's been a meme wrestler. He's been getting by on charisma. I mean, he's still been putting in full effort. He's been doing crazy moves in matches, but he's been coasting. He's not putting his full creative output into matches in places like Fight Club Pro, in progress as a babyface since the original British Strong Style run ended. He hasn't been putting in full effort in those matches. And I'm not saying he's lazy. I'm not saying he's underwhelming. He's been very entertaining in that run, but he hasn't been putting in full creative effort. Someone like a Will Ospreay chucks himself into every single match he has, and he'll probably get burnt out because of it, and he's a mentalist. What Tyler Bates doing is actually very, very smart. He's saving himself for those big occasions and crushing them when he gets them. But those big occasions, for him, 
or when he goes to Florida, when he goes to an NXT takeover. That is his career right now. That That is who he is. That is the effort that he's putting into. And it's cashing out huge dividends for him. He's a major star now. Um, and his career is only going to go upward and upward, whether it be within the WWE system or not. But it does mean that someone like me hasn't been seeing the best of Tyler Bate. And obviously we've seen flashes of brilliance from him, even on those indie appearances. But his big strong boy, his Conor McGregor tribute act is him coasting. I think that's fair to say. I, again, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, that's just what it is. So, to get a match like this where he is in the main event, and he was he was always supposed to be in, in this match. Um, obviously, he got injured uh, at the Super Strong Style 16, which definitely derailed Progress's plans a bit, and certainly derailed Bates' coming out party for them. Um, he was clearly supposed to be that was supposed to be his big moment, and that would have legitimised him going into Wembley. And that they didn't get that to happen. And unfortunately, that meant that he remained a meme wrestler for the, <laughs> for the run-through to this show. And really, this is really the first match he's been serious in progress in a long, long time. And they tried to build it up with, you know, that talking segment of him in his garden. You know, having tea with his mom and Glenn Joseph, and it was all very nice. Um, and he was, like, trying to sell it as... Oh, I'm Mr. Serious, now I want the title. But this match, what he delivered here, this was stunning, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> As someone who hasn't seen the best of Tyler Bate, now getting the best of Tyler Bate, that was really, really cool to see. You know, him and Walter getting their real entrance themes for this match, when the, oh, we'll talk about it on the rest of the show, but everyone else getting, you know, the stock library themes, and it, the atmosphere is muted considerably. Um, but obviously, Bate has his WWE theme, and Walter has... Um, I'm going to say it wrong, but Dvorak. I'm an idiot, okay? I can't say Dvorak, or whatever it is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> but having that, that Major League entrance for Bate, you know, you knew we were onto something here. Um... Uh, yeah, I wasn't a fan of the five-minute video package before the match, um, considering there'd already been three and a half hours of this show already, and it, it was overrunning, and they have put this match up for free on the YouTube because of that. But by the time they'd both made their entrances, it didn't actually really matter. Like, as I say, the talking had stopped, the big strong boys had stopped, the Conor McGregor, the Conor McGregor, the Conor McGregor tribute act was over, and we could just begin fighting. And <laughs> when they began fighting, this match was pretty good. Bate absolutely chucked himself about here. This was not half effort bait. This was not coasting bait. This was him trying to deliver a big match. And really for the first time in progress as a singles guy. And that's maybe why, I mean, I drafted him in the third round of the Britress Euro draft, which you should go listen. But I've sort of been down on Tyler Bate compared to the hype that he's gotten. But I see it now. I've seen the light. Hallelujah. <laughs> because of this match. You know, like, the, the effort levels that he put in, but just his his underdog status and his scrappiness. Maybe not underdog isn't even the right word, but just his, his scrappiness against the bigger man, Walter. He just would not stay down, ever. He wrestles so energetically. It's exciting. 
you know, it gets the blood flowing. It makes you want to see more. It makes you get invested in the match. Um, and I, I was far from, you know, supporting Tyler Bate going into this. I thought this match was just going to be a, a British Strong Style wins lol to cap off a, a very British Strong Style heavy evening for progress. Um, but it, it absolutely wasn't. Like, it didn't really matter that he was British Strong Style. It didn't really matter that he was, you know, Mr. Meme, Wrestler, Mr. Popular, Mr. Big Boy. This was classic, old school, I sound like Rip Rogers here, but it was strong babyface stuff, and it didn't matter if you'd never seen a match of his before in your life. You were rooting for him, even not necessarily to win, but just to stay in the fight, to just keep going, coming at Walter. And it was bloody good to see. Yeah, this match will probably get compared a lot to the Jordan Devlin match, especially now that it's up free on YouTube, just like the Jordan Devlin match with Walter. Uh, similar spot, similar atmosphere um, for the title. People in the in the corner, I'll get back to the corner men in a minute, don't worry. It, it, this is going to get compared to the Devlin match, and it wasn't as good as the Devlin match. Well, it was a better actual wrestling match, but the atmosphere for the Devlin match was just otherworldly because of, you know, the Irish. <laughs> just the Irish, full stop. Um, so it's almost unfair to compare it <laughs> in that regard, because Bate wrestled the superior match here. He was flying all over the ring. He was doing crazy stuff. His big power moves felt really, really earned, like he was struggling for them, and he only hit a couple all match. He hit a big suplex on the outside, which landed with a thump on Wal with Walter on the floor. He hit a couple. I, did he hit a German suplex? Just, I, I, you know, I don't write notes down on every single thing that happens in the match. I, I write down emotions, and I've written down big power spots feel very well earned <laughs> as I break the fourth wall. That is what made the match so special. Is but that the big moments for Bate were few and far between. He really, really had to earn any sort of momentum against Walter. A lot of the stuff he got in was light, and he was sort of. Chopping, it wasn't chopping down the tree necessarily, but just a, a million bee stings trying to bring down a lion <laughs> as I go full partridge. <laughs> yeah, he just, he wasn't fucking around in this match. He was go, go, go straight at Walter, made him look like the biggest threat going. But it was, this was like, I, I've sort of neglected to even mention Walter's performance in this match. Because this match was about Tyler Bate, and that's why I'm focusing on him. They got him over in this match <laughs> really, really well. And I'm always the last person to say, oh, Progress and British Strong Style, they sort of treat them, you know, like the Green Power Ranger, and like they can do no wrong. So I've kind of hated them as soppy Mr. Meme baby faces um, in Progress recently. But this was this was different. They really, really went out of their way to present Tyler Bate as something special here, and they delivered it. Um, Walter, for his part, very, very good as well. Like, the way he sold for Bate's offense and, you know, didn't show any real pain until just that one moment where you thought maybe Bate could do it. Um, and, in, in fact, people probably went into this match thinking Tyler would win because of that, the whole progress thing, and they can't lose in progress. Um for political reasons, <laughs> like, I don't even know if that's true or not, but it just feels like that sometimes. They they never lose, they're never in any important matches, they just guff around on the sides, um, doing their shtick. So it was, it was cool to see Bate in a big spot, and take the loss, because 
that's how this match should have gone. I don't think it would have been as good if he'd just pinned Walter and won. He got over because he lost. He got over in losing. If he'd won, it would just feel like, oh, Tyler Bate, oh, it's funny. Like, he won again in progress, and progress this and progress that, and I'd have all the ammunition in the world to say that. But he didn't. They they did right by him. They hadn't built him up before this match. He hadn't been built up as a legitimate contender. This was the match that built him as a legitimate contender for that title, for a bigger match, ironically, against Walter down the line. This cemented him in Progress Canon, which is weird because he's been around for ages and he's been the tag champion, but in terms of being a, a strong singles wrestler, he hasn't been established. So it would have felt really anticlimactic if he'd just won this match. They did right by him by giving him the loss here, and they can give him the win down the line. Maybe it's a return match to Wembley. Maybe it's just, you know, a smaller big show. Maybe it's just, you know, in the electric ballroom. I, I wouldn't mind that one little bit either. But they've got the ammunition here for another match between Bate and Walter, and that match could be even better because it would have a strong story going into it rather than a strong story being built up between the two participants within the match. So yeah, probably the best I've ever seen of Bate, to be honest. Uh, like, Obviously his UK Championship Tournament win was you know, an amazing moment for him. And he had great matches to get there, beating Pete Dunne. It was a fantastic moment. Um, and obviously kind of his breakout moment was against Pete Dunne again that summer uh, in Chicago. I really... I, I liked that match, but that was sort of the one where I was like, I'm not seeing what everyone else is seeing here. And I was almost annoyed with myself. I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> and I feel like I've sort of had that delayed reaction two years later with this match. So that that's nice to know that I've sort of understood what Bate is going for finally. I've finally seen through his layers of bullshit, his sort of, his shtick, and seen the blue chip wrestler that he is underneath it with this match. So yeah, this is probably my only strong recommend match on the show <laughs> to go seek out, and you don't have to go too far because it's free on the YouTube channel, um, because the show ran over pretty much by the length of this match. <laughs> the show was due to end at 8.30, and this match reportedly started at about 8.30, so timing-wise, this show was a bit off for the loop. Um, but before we talk about the rest of the show, I do want to mention the corner men in this match. They had Tim Thatcher in Walter's corner. They had Seven and Dunn in Tyler Bates' corner. The cameramen did not notice this one bit. <laughs> they may as well not have existed to the cameras. And this did affect my enjoyment of the match, especially because having corner men in these big matches is so in vogue. Um, and as I mentioned, um, the OTT match, the Devlin-Walter match, was so enhanced by having David Starr and Thatcher there at ringside and them getting their facial expressions, their emotions after every big move. You know, that, that match was all emotion. And it was because those corner men added so much to it along with the crowd. Um, and also Ibushi Tanahashi from the G1, the G1 final. That had Shibata doing his best Mike Kilby impression on the outside as well as Kenny Omega on the other side, it reacting to every single thing that happened, and the camera was right there. The moment any big move happened, they were right there to capture Kenny and Shibata's reactions to their men. 
and there was none of that here. The commentary were talking about them. The commentary was saying, you know, look at British strong style. Look at Trent Seven and Pete Dunne willing Tyler Bate on. But we couldn't look at them because the camera wasn't showing them. Then, you know, I moaned about progress camera work being like a bit too in your face, literally in the wrestlers' faces before. And it was happening again here. There was no time to sort of see the moment, I guess. Um, It was very much just... Let's let's capture the next move as efficiently as possible, rather than let's capture the emotion of this match. And you miss tertiary things on the outside, like Pete Dunne and Trent Seven banging on the mat and willing Tyler Bate forward when he's when he's in a crab hold. So I thought I thought that definitely reduced some of the atmosphere in this match, which is unfortunate because the actual wrestling itself should have created that. But it's still a strong recommend. I just think that that was a bugbear for me. But you know, especially when the commentary were pointing out, look at the cornermen, look at the reactions, look at the emotion, and you literally couldn't see them on the camera. Um, that was definitely an oversight. There should have been someone right there with the cornermen when something big happened, because we've seen <laughs> what can happen when you have that added into the match in Ireland and Japan. Alright, I think we should talk about the rest of the show now, <laughs> um, and it may get a bit more negative from here. <laughs> there was one other match I really enjoyed, and then I have nitpicks everywhere else, so, um, you know, Angry Dave should should probably not listen to this one, because uh, he might get angrier, as angry as I might get. Um, and we'll start with the first match, we'll start with Matt Riddle's first WWE, uh, sorry, last indie appearance um, against Mark Haskins. Yeah, just a very strange vibe with Mark Haskins right now. Obviously, he was in that heel team, Team Never Explain, um, which was formed kind of this time last year with Jimmy Havoc, um, you know, and, and they brought in Vicky Haskins as the manager. And she played her role very well as a heel manager, and it it was a, a good act, but as, we, as I say, literally their gimmick was we don't explain our actions, so it... Could have been a lot better if they had give, been given even the slightest bit of, you know, reason and emotion and logic. <laughs> but in general, they played their parts well. They did what they had to do. And then obviously they were split up and then split up again. And their points in the Thunderbastard series taken over by uh, Flash Morgan Webster and the Wild Boar. Team Sugar Babes! And now Haskins is just off doing singles as a babyface again, but he still has heel his heel wife <laughs> holding a barbed wire baseball bat at ringside. It is bizarre, to say the least. And he feels like he was in this match just because he wasn't on the show up to that point, and they needed an opponent for Riddle, and he's a progress guy. Much like, We've sort of been saying this for like two years now, it's a broken record. Um... But they feel, I feel like Progress feel like they have to book Haskins rather than just sort of giving him some time to breathe and become something new. And, you know, that was what the heel turn was supposed to be in the allegiance with Jimmy Havoc, and they just got bored of that, apparently. So he's back to being tough, cool guy against fellow tough, cool guy Matt Riddle. But Riddle comes off as a tough, cool guy on a superstar level. He looked big time. He had, I appreciated that he had sort of his, his indie look on here, because he, he saw like the pictures from his NXT debut and he's wearing these like weird orange 
orange shorts. I don't even know what to make of them. Um, they look like the 1990s. Um, but here he had he had his progress scarf back. He had his his snapback cap on. He was just missing the Atlas title, and he would have looked like you know early 2017 Matt Riddle <laughs> when he first burst onto the Brit Rare scene and had that like iconic look. <laughs> um, and he he was going for that here, and so I, I I enjoyed that. He did make this feel like his last indie match, and not you know his first match under the WWE umbrella. <laughs> um, but Haskins is just the same guy he was two years ago, and they had a match that they could have had two years ago when Riddle first started. I guess that was the problem with this match for me. It was just there. It was, it, it was completely out of time, out of place. It could have happened literally on any progress show in the last two years, and it didn't feel like a, a real climax for Riddle as a progress guy. Because he was a progress guy for a long time when he was holding that Atlas title. So it, it feels a bit hollow to send him off like this. I feel they could have picked a different opponent, maybe a Chris Brooks. Just done something a bit different, rather than just have a match they could have had at any point in his progress run. Maybe that was the point, maybe there was some sort of best of progress, you know, all the hits kind of feel to this booking on the show. Um, and this was kind of one of those moments where, you know, they were just playing the best of progress. You know, Riddle came off like a superstar. He's gonna, I hope he does great in WWE, but that WWE machine is gonna grind him up. One thing to note about this match, obviously starting off the show they had, um, Glenn Joseph was on commentary all the way through the show, starting off with him they had Dahlia Black. And then Matt Richards and Callum Leslie came in later from the show, and they had a three-man move by the end. I get what they're trying to do. You know, they have a stable of commentators. They wanted to give each of them some time on the show. But I think we, we've said this before, and it is obvious to anyone who listens <laughs> to these four voices that Callum Leslie and Matt, Ratched, Matt Richards are the two people who should be commentating progress. Glenn Joseph is not the voice of progress. <laughs> He's the voice of, I'm, I'm going to meet progress and watch the baseball game. <laughs> or listen to the baseball game in the background. He's... Ugh. Not a good commentator. I know it's, again, it's a broken record. We've been saying this forever, but it should be Leslie and Richards commentating every single match. So we had Tony Storm versus Molly McKenzie versus Ginny for Progress Women's Championship in in match two. And yeah, this was mainly just an angle. The match only really went on for about four or five minutes before uh, the angle kicked in um, with the House of Couture, the Spice Girls behind Ginny, uh, come in trying to interfere. Laura Di Matteo and Candy Floss are there as the babyface women on the outside to even up the odds, don't you know? Um, but unfortunately for Candy Floss, Laura Di Matteo turns on her, joins the House of Couture, um, prompting Dahlia Black to say, Vintage! <laughs> Vintage Ginny and Elizabeth! <laughs> because she's only ever watched WWE and only knows how to commentate like a WWE commentator. It's so bad, it's so jarring. And also, after, oh, Ginny wins a match, pins Tony Storm after the House of Couture gang up on her. Um, then Jordan Grace comes down, runs him off, 
Jordan Grace comes in and Dahlia Black says, I recognise that music! Which is very funny because it's just complete... Uh, is it even Jordan... Jordan Grace comes out to Daisuke Sakamoto's theme and this was not that, so... I don't really know how she recognised this music. I guess Jordan Grace wrestled, like, a couple of times on Progress's US tour. So is that is that supposed to be... I recognise this music! <laughs> the iconic theme music of Jordan Grace, who's been in progress twice and not even really in canon. <laughs> so yeah, Jordan Grace debuting gives them a bit of a bit of spice in the women's division, but it's not something really permanent because I mean she's only gonna be in when they fly her in. Like is she really gonna be a permanent part of the furniture now? I don't think so. So it, it only really goes so far. The women's division is kind of just a dumpster fire, and it's heatless too, right now in progress. Nobody cared about this match. It's token booze for um, the House of Couture, which apparently is made up of all the women on the roster, apart from Millie McKenzie, Tony Storm, and Candy Floss, um, and Jordan Grace. Now, it's it's very much speaking to we can only do one feud for the women. We can only have a one match per show. Which kind of wasn't what they were doing. They were getting somewhere with the women's division, and now they've just made it all Ginny. All Ginny. Ginny, Ginny, Ginny. That's the only thing that matters now. And it's a shame, because they do have a lot of different women in there who can have different styles of matches. They don't have to just have, you know, Ginny matches. And that's what they're going to have with the House of Couture, even if Ginny isn't even in the match. They're all just doing a Ginny gimmick, basically. And it's just not interesting. You know, they had potential there. They have people who don't really get a big spot anywhere else, like Chikara and Candy Floss, who they could have done stuff with. You know, put, they both have very interesting gimmicks. They could have tried to do some like dark match stuff or you know opening stuff. Try and build up a division rather than just sort of say, here's Nina Samuels, now she's a heel. Here's Charlie Morgan, now she's a heel. It's just, it's jarring. And I don't know how anyone is supposed to actually care about it. And it just felt like any reaction they got was very token. And it's it's not an indictment on any of their skills either, which is a shame. The women aren't allowed to have really good matches in progress. They're not allowed to go out and have bangers. Because they have to work within this weird story that nobody cares about. And it's a shame, they're not maximising the talent at all there. And obviously I wish they were, because there's a lot of interesting women in there who don't get a big spot elsewhere. They could build up something with them, even if even just as a little thing to start off with. They could have made it more interesting than massive heel faction versus sporadic baby faces. Anyway, now we get to a match that I did enjoy. <laughs> the Atlas title match. Uh, Doug Williams defending against Trent Seven and losing and presumably retiring from wrestling. And I enjoyed this because it was just a well-told story with real emotion involved. I, you know, I <laughs> just went on for minutes about how fake the House of Couture stuff comes across and there's no real emotion in it. This was real. Like, Trent Seven's promo about failing to make the drive down and get trained by Doug Williams and how different his life would have been if he'd made it there, but then saying he's going to put Doug out to pasture. It it was affecting. It was one of the best things Progress have done in a while, 
um, outside of, like, dream matches. And this match came off really well because of it. It wasn't, you know, the most amazing match you'll ever see. There was some sloppy stuff towards the end. But it was a nice, compact, well-told story. And I really appreciated it. Trent Seven came off like a real star when he came out. He doesn't need Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate with him. And that's really good to see, because I guess, sort of, the overwhelming feeling with him is that, kind of, he is just the mouthpiece for them, or... You know, he needs them to have really good matches. And he doesn't. He can come off like a star on his own. He did in ICW when he was making that run for the title there. He was coming off as his own man, his own act. And you got that sense here as well. It was relieving to see. Much like, as I was talking about with Tyler Bate earlier, he hasn't had any singles matches that weren't shtick or comedy in progress for a long time. So it it was refreshing to see Trent Seven just come out on his own and refreshing to see him win a singles title and I'm excited to see him in singles matches uh, I hope they have opponents lined up for him and I hope they have real opponents lined up for him not bullshit stick shtick even because he can do something with this title he can make it a Matt Riddle type belt where he has really fun really good matches and makes the title his own so I hope this is the start of something for Trent Seven in progress. Uh, obviously, in his NXT time, he's doing NXT time. <laughs> That's an interesting one. In his in his time in NXT, um, he's doing the tag stuff with Bait, and he'll he'll do that in WWE K two. However, that manifests itself. So why not give him something different to do in progress while he still can? You know, have some fun with it. Put him in some fun singles matches and don't do shtick with them. Do cool stuff. Do great Trent Seven matches because he's capable of them. And, you know, I'm not going to say this is a great match or anything, but it was very fun. Like, Doug Williams, I think Rob said it uh, some time ago, but he kind of wishes that this run had happened two or three years ago when he was more mobile and he was capable of having great matches still. Um... His run has been fun to watch, certainly, and he's had he's had some decent matches. His match against White Muller in WXW was really fun, but you know none of them are crossing the four star threshold. Let's just put it that way. Um, but this match was just you know it was a wrestling match. <laughs> Shocker, I know, but like after the silliness of the freeway, after just kind of the meandering of the Haskins Riddle match. This match settled the showdown. I really do think that that was something to actually latch onto, to as a fan care about with real emotion involved. It wasn't just indie dream match, random women's heel stable. This was you know solid storytelling. It was and, and I've sort of been down on the Doug Williams story in progress, and it's had some odd moments, but they told it really well here. It felt like a struggle. They did sort of the meme ending with Trent Seven hitting the crossbody, which he always misses, to retire Doug Williams. Eh, I'll let him get away with that, you know. It's a weird way to end the match. Maybe I would have preferred just, you know, a pile driver or something. Seven stars lariat. A, a more traditional Trent Seven finisher, but, you know, it's Trent, you know. <laughs> it's It's cheeky, but I'm not going to get mad at it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, after the match, 
Doug Williams gets the send off. I hate. Oh, it's so very WWE esque to get the whole roster out on the stage to have the Doug Williams moment and send him off. I get the thinking behind it, but just you know, here <laughs> I realize I'm gone full Rip Rogers here, and I'm just complaining about everything. Um, but when you have like Jordan Grace, who's just run off the House of Couture and you know attack like beating them down silly standing next to charlie morgan and they're all just clapping and playing friends it you know that's five minutes ago <laughs> at least have like the house of couture all like standing off to the side like do it like dragon gate where the heel faction you know comes in after everyone else to send someone off and there's like they're, they're still very cheeky and heelish about it even if you can tell that they have real affection for the guy they're sending away you know, at least have them standing off to the side, licking their wounds, being looking bitchy. Don't have them just standing next to the person who beat them up five minutes ago. No, nah, it's just, you know, me complaining and me being surly, but... <laughs> it's it's just very... It's straight out of the WWE playbook to get everyone on the stage for a reason. You know, I've I, I moaned about this about World of Sport as well, but I just wish... Wrestling doesn't have to just be WWE. You can make up your own ways of doing it, and it doesn't just have to be pull the referee out of the ring, everyone gets on the stage. Vintage, you know, medical facility. We can, we, <laughs> we've created a beautiful thing here in Britress and Eurograps, and we don't just have to copy WWE. Um, obviously, Progress being WWE-affiliated, may change that, but... <laughs> Jimmy Havoc versus Paul Robinson. You wouldn't see this on WWE. Fair play to him. Um, this was certainly a victim of the best of progress uh, booking on this show. Like, obviously they had this pretty much the exact same match <laughs> um, on that incredible Chapter 20 show, um, which was one of their best ever, actually. And it was an impromptu match then. It was a big part of what made that so special. And yeah, like, three years on, everyone still remembers that match, and it is a big part of Progress history. I don't think we needed to do it again. It does, I'm not going to say it feels derivative, but just, as I say, sort of playing out the music, sort of Red Hot Chili Peppers singing Give It Away Now in 2018. It doesn't mean anything anymore. <laughs> it's just, it's what the crowd want to hear. Um... Obviously, the elephant in the room, big white elephant, Jimmy Havoc, painting himself all white, looked like such a dork. I get what he was going for, but <laughs> Jimmy Havoc, in when he was peak Jimmy Havoc, when he came out wearing white, you knew shit was about to go down, and that was really, really cool. That was a cool look for the guy. White paint, <laughs> bare chest, it was not, not a pretty sight. Um, and neither was this match. It was not a pretty match at all. Um, certainly not one of Rob's. Not, not one to recommend to Rob. Um, real shock factor stuff. There was some nasty looking stuff, you know. Putting the light, sticking the light tubes in them. Um, some really, really garish colour going on. Garish blood. Um, and Paul, Paul Robinson, he really delivered this match considering he hasn't wrestled for ages and essentially came out of retirement to do this one match. <laughs> uh, you know, he was chatting shit with the fans as if there were, like, 40 of them there, not 4,000. And, like, 
he's not a big big room act, but he was he translated to the big room really well. Uh, so I do appreciate the effort there. Like he he went above and beyond to really try and sell this match and make it a big deal. Um. Yeah, like best of progress. This wasn't really a necessary match. Just like a this is where we've come from match. Um. And also getting the toys out for the big show, you know, you got to do it, don't you? <laughs> um, you know, they wanted a spectacular bloodfest in their bigger show, harkening back to their history, and they got it. Um, not not hugely invested in the build for this. It Obviously, at the last minute, they lost Will Ospreay, which was a shame, because I think that match in this scenario would have been a big addition to the show, whereas this just felt like a... A nice callback. Um, with some fucking ugly bleeding. <laughs> you seem crying ugly. This was bleeding ugly, honestly. Um, but yeah, I just wish there was some real beef to actually back it up and make it mean something other than... <laughs> Remember back in 2015 when progress was amazing? <laughs> and so that brings us to the match everyone wanted to see. The big one. The tag team Thunderbastard match. We've made fun of the shit booking time and again on this show, so don't need to cover it again. But yeah, this was <laughs> this was certainly a wacky match, and I think for the live crowd this was probably a lot of fun. And it, to be fair, it was a lot of fun on the OD too, sort of, you know, it had that real rumble vibe of you know people coming in and out. It really picked up when they were doing all the multi-man dives. Santos getting his big moment and diving onto everyone. Uh, Flamita and Bandido doing some crazy shit in that sequence as well. You know, that was when it picked up. That brought the crowd alive. Um, I think that was after everyone had already entered the match. <laughs> so it took a while to get going. Um, I, I think there may have only been one team eliminated before that sequence started. That was Mills and Mayhew who had new gear and I was very disappointed about that. Um, because I really like their shindy look and the the baggy trousers. It sets them apart, ironically, like because <laughs> everyone else has got all this, you know, sleek. I look so cool. I look major league. Um, and they just, you know, they they invested in their look as well. But I liked it, the sort of backyard vibe. It was different. Um, I don't want them just looking like any other tag team. I want them looking like you know, the young shindy kids who get the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> That's what it should be. That's a more fun act than weird, cool indie wrestlers. Yay. You know, I want to see sort of some guys who are low on the totem pole who you can root for. You know, a ring crew express type. <laughs> um, Remember Mark Davis winning the Natural Progression series? That was brought up <laughs> when Aussie Open came out and I was just like, gotta note that down. I mean, that... <laughs> that happened before the Tag Team Thunderbastard series happened, and before Aussie Open now winning the tag belts. I don't know what they're going to be doing with that. I think they've just forgotten about that completely. Um, I mean, Aussie Open have a right team, absolutely, to win this match. Um, you know, but clearly, the team, team tag team of the year, almost no doubt. Uh, in 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 the in the Eurograps Awards, um, the Britties coming at the end of the year, Aussie Open are pr almost unanimously going to be tag team of the year. So they deserve to be the champions, and they can have a hell of a lot of good matches as champions, but I just don't know why Davis won that 
and not Ridgeway <laughs> if they knew that this was the plan. I guess they didn't know this was the plan. Um, and Gibson, another commentary annoying thing I saw was Gibson being referred to as Mr. Progress. If he's Mr. Progress, then why is he in the multi-man throwaway Thunderbastard match carrying his tag team partner? <laughs> um, you know, the same people are booking Zach Gibson really well in, in, or in that one WWE UK Championship tournament, which is apparently going to lead to more, but NXT UK is very much still in the can right now. So I don't really know <laughs> what they're going to be doing with Gibson, but he's clearly shown that he can do more than what he was doing in this match. I mean, he, him and Aussie Open made this match, to be fair. Once it got down to those final two teams, it really it did pick up. The intensity was there, and those three guys clearly a, a, a cut above talent-wise. Um from a lot of the guys in this match. Obviously, you had Flamita and Bandido, Calamari, Thatch Kings, but those three guys understand their acts individually really, really well, and they've added a lot to progress in recent times. I mean, Zach Gibson, fair play, has added a lot to progress for the last five years, but he's never been booked as the top guy, so I wouldn't really call him Mr. Progress, and it's kind of just calling attention to the fact that he hasn't had a big run despite his overwhelmingly, consistently excellent work. Oh, and as I ruffle my pages around, one more commentary annoyance <laughs> from Ollie here. Um, Glenn Joseph describing Wild Boar as Morgan Webster's real-life best friend. <laughs> it's just... Like, we all gave World of Sport shit when they described uh, B. Priestley as Will Ospreay's real-life girlfriend. It's just so unnecessary. So I had to retreat to my Futurama angry dome on that one and <laughs> pause the show for a few minutes and get it all out of my system. A weird one for the 198, you know, because Gibson was just getting so much more heat than they were. Like, the whole match was structured around the 198 eliminating the other teams one by one. <laughs> and while they were doing that, everyone was just chanting shoes off if you hate Gibson. Like, <laughs> there's clearly one man in this match who was getting all the heat, and it wasn't the team that was apparently 6-0, and even though they've only won two matches as an actual team together. Um, the one that nobody cares about, the 198, just like nobody cares about the House of Couture. You know, they've booked this heel team correctly, supposedly, but not in any way that uses real emotion to make real people actually really care about it, compared to what Zach Gibson is getting. People hate Zach Gibson, it's real emotion that he plays off of. He taps into something within everyone that just makes you want to hate him. He's a detestable heel. And compare that to the 198, who just exist. They kicked two heels out of their own tag team, and that makes them heels. It's so convoluted, and why did they choose the convoluted team to build this match around, rather than the guy who gets the real heat? I mean, fair play, the 198 do get eliminated, and then the final two is Grizzled Young Veterans and Aussie Open. But... Why did the 198 even need to be in this to begin with? Again, 
no skin off Wild Boar and Morgan Webster's back. You'd, you'd love to have them on any show if you were running a wrestling show. You'd love to have them on. But their act in progress is just a non-starter, honestly. And so I just don't even know why they were in this match. And <laughs> I don't know why this match existed. <laughs> Other than the end bit. It should have just been Grizzled Young Veterans versus Aussie Open. That was the match with two teams that people care about. And the match that probably would have delivered the most. And the rest of it was just 20 minutes of dicking around, basically. But yeah, by the time they got down to that last two, there was real emotion in there. Things got meaningful, there were some really cool tag moves, but it only lasted a couple of minutes, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, Aussie Open's win, very well crafted in that final few minutes, and got a big ovation. Absolutely the right move. Cannot complain at all with Aussie Open being the champion. And that's sort of a theme here with them and Trent Seven as the Atlas champs, um, and I guess Walter as the Progress champ as a whole. But they have guys there who they can make matches with and have them be really good matches and just that. They don't, like, obviously they can build stories around those matches, but they do not need these convoluted bullshit storylines like the 198 in the House of Couture when they've got such strong champions now. I mean, I always say that the the winter after Progress's Big Show is usually better because they do just do these straight matches, build show to show, and ironically, you get more invested in them than these months-long soap operas that are convoluted as hell that lead up to the big show. I think they have a real chance here with Aussie Open, with Walter, and with Trent Seven to just have some banging matches and have a put on a, some good shows over the winter, some really strong, solid shows with strong, solid champions, and they don't need to reinvent the wheel they don't need to overthink it, and they don't need heatless acts running amok, making everything worse around them. Just have some goddamn wrestling matches, you know? <laughs> and I know it's harder than... I'm, I'm armchair booking here. I know it's harder than that. But they've got themselves into it. They've done all the hard work. They've got themselves into a position where they have three overacts as their three champions, their three male champions. All they need to do now is work with them and make something good out of it. They don't need to overthink it, honestly. <laughs> so yeah, this match was sort of the definition of overthinking. The whole series was. But the the end result of it, they can do something here with that. Uh, so yeah, we only have two more matches to go uh, to talk about. We've got Ilya versus Pete Dunne. Obviously this was a, a much hyped up match. Builders sort of... for. European dominance, and I like that in the build they played up to sort of the the progress WXW dividing line amongst fans. I, I thought, you know, it's fun when progress sort of play up to themselves and sort of show some self-awareness. Um, but yeah, like sort of done as the super baby face, Mr. Progress, a actually Mr. Progress, and Ilya as the invading boo foreign heel. It didn't really work because nobody wanted to boo Ilya here, and they didn't have any reason to, but I I thought it, they had the right idea going there with sort of presenting it as Progress versus WXW, if not explicitly, then at least sort of feeding off of that sort of stuff, feeding off um, the Kilby clan <laughs> stuff. Um, 
even if it didn't work out too well in the end, because Ilya Dragunov was not getting booed in this match, and we'll get to it in a minute, but actually re- reversing the roles made the match so much better. Um, but it was a nice idea. Um, I, to start off a match with the VT of, like, Jacoby doing all, all the promos and stuff building to this match, that actually just made me sad, because obviously we haven't actually covered this in British Roundtable, but the news that... Uh, CMJ, Christian Mikael, Jacoby going off on a, a leave of absence from WXW um, due to burnout on doctor's orders. And that, that just, like, obviously it's a sad story and we want him to, to to get well soon, feel back to his best and keep delivering the quality stuff from WXW. But it, it was just kind of gutting to watch him do the promos and stuff in the VTs and then coming out before the match and just kind of thinking that he was suffering from burnout, especially, I mean, a day before he announced that. Like, this was the last thing he was doing before going on the leave. So it just kind of sucks to think that even just a little bit, he was, you know, having to put on a brave face behind the curtain and going out and just doing the job. You know, you never want, especially a guy with such passion like Yakobi, you never want to feel like he's doing it just sort of because he has to, not because he loves doing it. And... Like, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I mean, he got paid to do it, and <laughs> it's his job, and I'm sure he enjoyed it, and he enjoyed his day out with Ilya, but it just does suck to think that even in the back of your mind there might have been a feeling like that. Um, so yeah, just good vibes sending to Yakobi. Let's hope he comes back better than ever, and delivering what we know and love from WXW going forward. Yeah, I, even though the story didn't really land, especially for the live crowd, I do appreciate the commentators sort of trying to build the story off of, especially with heel, heel manager Yakobi, building a story off of, like, Pete Dunner's, the guy who got away from Yakobi, sort of Yakobi feeling like he's the best talent scout in Europe, but he had Pete Dunn in his grasp and he let him slip through his fingers. I liked that, even though, like, <laughs> none of that was really ringing in the the promos beforehand, it, it's it's a nice story to sort of invest in while you're watching the match, and certainly since the original story wasn't working too well for um, the live crowd, it was smart of the commentators to sort of come up with something to get the VOD audience invested. Um, and commentary giveth Mac from Matt Richards and commentary giveth away from... Uh, who else but <laughs> Mr. Joseph, <laughs> who basically said that Ilya was a heel, but Ilya and CMJ were heels because they want people to watch other promotions, <laughs> which was very amusing. He said something like, um, you know, people don't, people, some people only watch one promotion and Yakobi doesn't like that. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was just a very roundabout way of saying he's a heel because he comes from a different promotion or like wants you to watch WXW. Uh, that was quite amusingly bad commentary. <laughs> um, as the match went going, it, it was going okay. It was churning along at a fair pace, but as I say, the crowd weren't engaging with it on a level that you might have hoped they would. And they didn't really engage on that full level until some a switch turned in the match and Pete Dunne suddenly starts you know, beating down on Ilya and stomping his head and really laying into him, and that's when the crowd really started to come alive and started booing Pete Dunne. 
And I feel like that is sort of what the crowd wanted to do. Like, they know Pete Dunne, they're more familiar with him, and they're, they, I think they felt better about booing him than booing the guy they didn't know at all. Like, better to hate something you know than to just blindly hate something you don't. And that it, it turned the match around on its head. Suddenly Ilya was unbeseegering up, he was hulking up, he was doing babyface spots, he was calling out to the crowd, and that was when some real energy started getting put into the match. It, that was when it got exciting. <laughs> For me, anyway. <laughs> uh, but as soon as that started happening, moments later it's back to the usual, and Ilya's cheating, and CMJ's got the belt, and, <laughs> you know, but for a brief moment there, you saw the true potential of this matchup when Pete was just beating the shit out of Ilya, <laughs> and stomping on him, and just being relentless, being, you know, the bruiser weight, <laughs> and that was when Ilya was on Besiegba, and it just felt like their natural characters coming out. It felt like how they should interact, how they should wrestle, that it felt like it was just going off the flow. But then the match, the the planning had to kick back in again. And, <laughs> you know, British Strong Style wins lol had to kick back in again. And Elite, uh, Pete had to, like, sort of shrug off a Torpedo Moscow and win the match seconds later. It was a really strange end to a strange match. But it got really, really good, really intense for, like, two minutes. <laughs> After about ten minutes of decent stuff, but certainly not living up to expectations, and then after those two minutes, suddenly going back to Pete Dunne wins lol. It was, an, it was certainly interesting, and I think they got Ilya over as a babyface by kicking out of the bitter end twice, sort of shaking hands with Dunne afterwards. I think they want to use Ilya again, but they're gonna have to Again, this was sort of his establishing match, just like Tyler Bate in the main event scene. This was his his match to establish him. It's really weird that this show was more about establishing things than blowing them off. <laughs> it was sort of like a weird big show in reverse. It really wasn't about blowing stories off, or at least no stories that anyone real actually really cared about. But there's a lot of interesting stuff they set up, and... They've got something going forward with Ilya. So yeah, the match really popped off when Dunn healed it up and Ilya started getting babyface reactions. And basically the main takeaway from it is watch WXW. So then I look at the clock on on, on the demand progress and I see that there's still 90 minutes of the show to go. <laughs> Obviously we've already talked about the main event So that doesn't count But there's still a good 40 minute segment From when the VT starts To when Mark, De Mark Andrews versus Any Dennis ends And <laughs> this match I think was peak Them not getting what they wanted over <laughs> Very unfortunate stuff If this show had happened 3 months earlier This match would have been off the charts In terms of heat In terms of excitement Sadly, this feud fizzled out before they could get round to the match, which is a shame. Uh, it got hurt when Eddie Dennis returned to action and started getting physical with people, because the real heat came from Eddie Dennis saying, you know, fuck progress, all I want to do is attack Mark Andrews, all I want to do is fight Mark Andrews, and Andrews telling him no, telling him no. They could have kept that going, but for whatever reason, 
they gave Eddie Dennis matches. They put him in the free and in series. And it was, you know, it burnt out the feud. They couldn't keep it going forever once they started getting physical, once they, Eddie Dennis was getting match time in, putting his focus on other things. It was unfortunate. And also, obviously, the TLC, the furniture match. Progress do not have a good history of furniture matches, obviously. The infamous uh, London Riots versus uh, Sumerian Death Squad match. Um where Michael Dante sat on a table and it broke. This was the opposite, unfortunately, for them. This was I Am The Table, Botchmania. <laughs> I mean, we saw this in uh, WXW last month as well. We've got to stop booking, the, booking the, uh, the furniture matches, lads, because indie furniture doesn't like to break. <laughs> I think that's what we've seen here. And it was unfortunate that, you know, this blood feud, this, oh, we've got to fight each other and prove who's the better man, and I hate you so much, Mark Andrews, and, oh, I don't want to fight you, Eddie Dennis, but I have to. All to just turn into not quite putting each other through tables and also then climbing a ladder. Yeah, the, the whole, the whole, the whole presentation of this match felt just off compared to the build. I, something I've always disliked about Progress is how they do the introductions after the entrances have already happened, and I think that adds on a lot of time to the show as well. So if you if you're looking at a reason for why this show massively overran, try like the ten minutes everyone was just standing around in the ring getting their names said loudly when the, it could have just happened while they were making their entrance. Yeah, you know, do it for the championship. Do it for the main event. Do it for the championship match. Don't do it for every other match <laughs> on the card. It's it's something I always found weird about progress, and I get some people like it, but I it just I skip over it <laughs> every time because I just want to get to the match. I like entrances. I don't like standing around waiting for the match to start. Um, but it it especially didn't work here. Like, why on earth if you're in a blood feud with a guy? I mean, we've seen it with Khabib and Connor this weekend. If you're in a blood feud with someone, you're going at them. You're not waiting for their name to get said, wait for the streamers to get cleared. Eddie Dennis should have jumped this guy straight away, as soon as he entered the ring. <laughs> and then the match could have gotten underway. I mean, they do it in New Japan, like, they do it, like, you can still have, like, a sports build and have a blood feud where a guy just doesn't care and just wants to fight. And then, obviously, getting the toys out, getting the tables out, and the toys not breaking... It did not elicit the right response. Obviously, Botchamania chance. It's just inevitable. But it just kind of speaks to the fact they should have just done this as a, a, a fight. They should have just made this a match. You know, no DQ, street fight, whatever you want to do it. But don't make it you know, mandatory tables, mandatory ladders. It's, <laughs> you know, it all felt so mandatory. Like, there wasn't pure hatred in this match, and there was pure hatred in the build. And then it's unfortunate that all that build led to stunts. And to be fair, the stunts were fucking crazy. Mark Andrews is a crazy man. You know, <laughs> he's got a great thing going with WWUK. He doesn't need to do this stuff, but he wants to. And that's really cool. That's really exciting that they want to 
put their bodies through the rigmarole and do stuff that defies belief. And there was stuff like that in this match, but there was nothing behind it. So yeah, I think this might have been my least favourite match, and not because the guys didn't put in a hell of an effort, but it was a misplaced effort. So I really, really hope they can have, again, <laughs> I hope they can have something building out of this show. I hope they can have just that blood feud. They could have a Jimmy Havoc-style match. But even then, it wouldn't ring true, because the hatred isn't there anymore, unfortunately. It doesn't, It's it's gone. They had lightning in a bottle, and they missed it. Through not some some of their fault, some unfortunate stuff with Eddie Dennis's injury, but they even when Eddie Dennis was still injured, they were keeping this feud going. It was lightning hot. Well, is like yeah, of course lightning's hot. <laughs> in June or July, people were salivating for this match, and in September, they didn't care, and it just turned into a stunt show. So it's unfortunate, and this is probably the biggest casualty for me in terms of the booking getting in the way of the show. And it, ugh, I'm annoyed now, <laughs> because, you know, cycle back 45 minutes and you'll hear me gushing over the main event and you'll think I'm a really nice guy who just loves his wrestling. And now, 45 minutes later, I've been progressed and just sound like a big old sour git. So that's kind of annoying. Um, so I'm going to go have a break so hopefully we can end this show on a high by previewing the Global Wars show for RevPro coming up and also the big 4th anniversary show for OTT coming up. That'll be on the other side of this whoosh. Whoosh! So we are back. I've decompressed, got some water in my system, hopefully got all the grumpiness out. We're going to be previewing upcoming big shows for OTT and RevPro. If you're not already super showed out with uh, World Tag Team League and Wembley, we got some more good stuff coming up. Um, and you can you can feel the nice relaxation in my voice now. I've calmed down. I'm, you know, got all the bile out of my body. Been watching baseball. It's lovely times. Uh, I'm picking Astros and Dodgers to repeat and Astros to repeat again, if anyone wants to know. So we'll start off with Global Wars, which is happening on October 14th, which is this Sunday as we're recording and as you're probably listening to it. And no word of a lie, I am previewing this card based on what I am seeing on the back of a t-shirt on the RevPro UK Twitter, because they don't actually have the whole card up in any one place, as a, a classic pet peeve for us on Voices of Wrestling and the British Roundtable. Um, so, <laughs> we have, in the main event, Tomohiro Ishii versus Minoru Suzuki for that British Heavyweight Championship, which they, once again, have been building to on a big New Japan show, which is very exciting, um, as they went head-to-head, -head, had the belt out at King of Pro Wrestling. Um, and yeah, like, it is an oversaturated matchup a little bit at this point. New Japan sort of played their hand with Walter and Ishii, um, with Ishii winning that match to get this uh, rematch for the title. I think Walter's time is coming in RevPro, um, so I think probably Suzuki retains here and will fight Walter next, and Walter will probably win that. The problem with this match is that, like, as you can probably tell, it hasn't really got my juices flowing as much as maybe it should, because they have already done it. They did the tag, which I bloody loved eating pizza in the Brit Rest private skybox um, while watching um, 
the Okada Ishii versus Suzuki versus ZSJ in Milton Keynes. Then they did the singles the night after. This is kind. Of, it feels like a bit of a retread. At least they're doing the match in London, I suppose. So it's it's a different area. They're coming to York Hall, doing a big one there. But yeah, like I've kind of already seen it. <laughs> um, but it's only one match on. This show and there's 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 a lot of good stuff here. Obviously, Kushida versus David Starr in in the semi main event for the cruiserweight championship. David Starr's been built up as a mega heel in Rev Pro. It's getting great heat there. Kushida has, ha- hasn't had a good match in Rev Pro for about three years now since his brilliant match against Kyle O'Reilly, um, which feels like he well it was years and years ago, but it feels like even longer than that at this point. You know, after all the the troublesome matches with uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and the like, uh, and against um, the Aussie guy. I can't even remember his name now. <laughs> Adam Brooks. <laughs> oh dear. It hasn't been a great time for Kushida in New York Hall, but um, with the heat that David Starr provides, this one has has a good chance of delivering. Uh, you got Hiroki Goto versus Zack Sabre Jr., Satoshi Kojima versus Mark Davis. That's a really fun match. Uh, that could be a low-key banger. El Fantasma versus Rocky Romero. Tetsuya Naito versus Chris Brooks. That is a really well-earned match for Brooks and could be very, very fun. I mean, Brooks has no chance of winning, so that might hurt it a little bit, but just as a spectacle, seeing the CCK, CCK brand go up against the LIJ brand sounds very, very fun to me. Uh, you got Will Ospreay versus Chris Ridgway. Um, definitely a big one for Ridgway to, to try and make his name and break out. I think Ospreay will be working overtime to put him over there. And also, LIJ team versus Ringkampf is also on the card. So there's a heavy presence of New Japan guys, obviously it being Global Wars. But yeah, I, there is a bit of oversaturation at this point with New Japan. It's not the in vogue promotion at all right now certainly with me and the people who listen to this podcast let's put it that way we're not (laughs) in love with new japan right now and we've kind of seen it i felt like strong style evolved was a bigger deal than this is and it does kind of hurt the global wars a little bit I'm back to being grumpy again. We've only been <laughs> recording the second half of five minutes and I'm already mad as hell. But there's some really good fun stuff there. If Goto shows up this time, that could be a really fun match between Goto and Sabre. They've had really good matches before. Kojima versus Davis just sounds amazing. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, two very popular wrestlers and I'm sure that'll get a really good reaction. And yeah, Naito Brooks is an intriguing one. I really hope it goes well. I really hope that's a great match. Um, and that Naito is on it for Chris Brooks, because you know Chris Brooks is going to be taking that one really, really seriously. And that'll be an exciting one, for sure. And Osprey Ridgeway could be <laughs> really, really exciting. Osprey has done some magical things in the York Hall, and he's on a mission to get guys over. <laughs> um, so Project Ridgeway will be the next one. Um, I do not have a ticket to this show. I'm not sure if Rob and Arn do. But if you see them there, go say hi. I'm sure they'll say hi back. And the night before Global Wars, we have OTT presenting their fourth anniversary show from 
the National Stadium in Dublin. And this is their lineup. They've got Osprey versus Walter for the OTT Championship in the main event. So obviously, coming hot off the heels of uh, their big time match, Walter versus Devlin, which got all the buzz. They put it up for free on YouTube. They're following it with a kind of a similar stylistic match. Um, and it is going to be very exciting to see Osprey Walter in a place that actually matters. They've obviously had the match in Defiant, which was certainly a match. Um, but that happened with no build and nobody really with eyes on it. This is going to have the passion of the Devlin match. They've they've really got something going here with Walter in OTT. It feels like a proper territory run. He's really taken over Dublin, Ireland. And I want to see what happens next because that Devlin match was off the charts. His presence in that match was off the charts and he is truly the final boss there. I mean, that is where he's thriving at the moment, more than anywhere else, more than Progress, more than RevPro, more than WXW, where he's kind of more of a mascot figure than anything else. <laughs> In OTT is really where you're getting pure, unadulterated final boss Walter right now, and Osprey's going to be motivated for that. He's going to feed off the fans. That could be equally as exciting as Jordan, the Jordan Devlin match was, even if you don't have the Irish pride aspect of it. I think they'll still really get behind Osprey and try and make that match absolutely mental. So I'm buzzed for that one. And very exciting semi-main of Minoru Suzuki versus Timothy Thatcher, which could could go either way. It could <laughs> it could be a bit of a, a masturbatory fest or it could be balls to the wall exciting. Um you never really know with Suzuki. You kind <laughs> Suzuki's kind of in the place Tim Thatcher was a couple of years ago in that you never really know which side you're gonna get. Tim Thatcher's come through now. He's just a solid gold brawler boy. Like he doesn't he he doesn't try and do something he shouldn't. Like he understands his audience a lot more now, I think. And I know he said like, oh, you know, the Evolver only got good heat and stuff, and it did, it did, but I think it was widely known to be aesthetically unpleasing, I suppose, is <laughs> a diplomatic point. But since he's come to WXW, he has found himself, kind of. He saw that all through last year, all through this year. He is delivering at a higher level than he was when he was Evolve Grapple Master. He's upped his game in the grappling as well as just everything else and becoming much more well-rounded in his performances. So... But Suzuki, he's had some clunkers this year. He's had some bangers, but he's had some clunkers as well. And you get the feeling like Timothy Thatcher is almost like a trap opponent for him and it's going to be a clunker. But you never know. It could be really, really fun and you know the fans are going to be into that matchup. It's definitely a for-fans matchup. Uh, the LIJ team, Naito, Sonata and Evil versus Shane Strickland, Flamito and Bandido. I'd, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be flippy-doos. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of charisma, a lot of personality. Again, an another match that will get over really well in the National Stadium. Kushida versus Tomohiro Ishii is really good, and you know Kushida's jacked up for that wrestling a heavyweight. You know, he's spoken about that like <laughs> on New Japan interviews, so, I mean, <laughs> he's definitely jacked up for that. Ishii doesn't take a day off, so that could be really, really fun if... A, again, a bit overexposed, but at least it's a fresh matchup. Um, like, the thing I worry about with Ishii Suzuki on the Rev Pro side is it's been done. 
like, I'm not salivating to go buy a ticket for the rematch. But Kushida versus Ishii has not been done, and both those guys can wrestle out of their weight class. Obviously, Ishii was Black Tiger for ages and wrestled Tiger Mask, and um, Kushida has had matches with heavyweights before, and they've been really, really fun. So that could that could re- really pop off. A fun one, Sean Guinness and Hiroki Goto versus Michael May and Satoshi Kojima. That's an excellent use of uh, two of the more veteran New Japan guys um, in getting your homeboys over. And yeah, just <laughs> you're not going to see that match anywhere else in the world. Uh, Scotty Davis versus Mark Davis. That feels like it's been done more for the meme than anything, but that is also an excellent matchup. Mark Davis has really good matches against <laughs> guys who are much smaller than him, and Scotty Davis can chuck people around, and he's definitely a blue chipper to watch out for coming out of Ireland if you haven't seen him yet. That might be a good match to start off with. Um, then you got some of the smaller matches. Kings of the North versus Morven Hype. That has been built up to quite a lot, the two home trios teams. Um, that's probably going to be building up to something more, something more like a feud between those teams, I think, is the next step for Morven Hype uh, on their journey up the card. Uh, LJ Cleary, Mr. Juicy, Gino Gambino, Raven Creed, Rocky Romero, and Paddy M in the get everyone on the card scramble match. <laughs> and the Angel Cruisers versus the, the new look Gymnasties. And I believe the Angel Cruisers have a mystery tag partner as well. So that feels very much like a, a best of OTT match. I'm probably not the best person to be talking about that since I haven't been there from the start. I'm not an OG. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure the fans will eat all that up, whoever the mystery partner is. Uh, new look gymnasties. That's one for people who are around in the the fuck PG era <laughs> of OTT. And that doesn't seem like a card that will go on forever and ever either. I know that's been a complaint of some of the national stadium shows, is that they've um you know, gone on forever and ever. And obviously the the young bucks and Cody uh, <laughs> went a bit long <laughs> last year in this slot. Um, that seems like a, a show that will be more compact and give everyone on it a better chance to have a really fun match and an entertaining part of the card. Even the lower down stuff has a lot of meaning. Um, and of it, both these shows that we're previewing here, heavy on the New Japan talent, obviously making use of the guys coming in for the weekend. Um, and yeah... Global expansion <laughs> is no longer just WWE's game, it's also New Japan's. At least they, they have a friendlier face on it, let's put it that way. Um, and a more wrestling-focused product. Um, but yeah, it's what people want to see. And there's some really cool matches going on in there. So I think both Pro fans and OTT fans are going to be very well served this upcoming weekend. And I think that's more of a positive way to end the show. Um than me moaning and groaning about uh, Glenn Joseph's commentary. So <laughs> I think while we're still on a high, I'm going to pop off. This has been an experience, certainly. You can follow me at another Ollie on Twitter if you wish. Um, make sure you read all the British and European wrestling reviews on VoicesOfWrestling.com. We're going to have the World Tag Team League reviews covered for you over this week and next week. Don't know exactly when they're all going to go up, but they will be up for certain. Maybe even yours truly will make an appearance. <laughs> um, so make sure you keep your BDIs on them. Make sure you listen to all the other cool podcasts going on on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. 
we'll have our own show from uh, WXW World Tag Team League, as will the two Sarahs. But Pokemon 2, as they're now known. And I will bid you good day. And next time you'll be listening to us, it will be World Tag Team League special, baby. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.